The sermon you're about to listen to is from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. Well, welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis Church, uh, the home to uh, many wonderful, wonderful people, uh, some of the best people in the world. It's a joy to be one of your pastors. Um, as we get started, I want to welcome those who are here for PAC's first annual Pastors Week. This is partnership of Associated Churches, an organization um, that we have started to help support pastors because the body count of pastors is too high. Uh, and so we want to strengthen and encourage uh, pastors across the world, around the world and across the country. Um, so we had uh, Chad from Charlotte, Eric uh, from Bowling Green. They've gone back to their churches, but today we have, is Jason Hermansdorfer still in the room? See you around. Jason Hermansdorfer, if you'll stand. Um, and then Travis and Dan and Dylan, if y'all would stand as well from Maine. Uh, welcome these guys. <clears throat> Thankful for y'all. Um, and be praying for PAC uh, as it's continued to grow and, and become such a benefit uh, to many pastors. Well, today is a part of our Vision Sunday. It's a great joy to uh, get to receive Dave Hoffman as an elder, as a, as a pastor of the Axis Church. So Dave, would you please come forward? Yeah. Let's welcome yeah. Dave. Yeah. <clears throat> um, normally, um, our services aren't like this. Um, this is like once a year, once every two years, we get to install an elder. Um, and with the 100 more new partners, members of our church over the last 12 months, uh, our elder body is needing uh, to grow to help care for the flock in the right way. So uh, we've got some reader response here uh, with you. And so all those who are willing, would you please stand for the congregation's portion of the elder installation? There is but one good shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The Lord Jesus, who so loves his bride that he gave himself up for her and still now washes her with the water of his grace as the head of the church, her chief shepherd, gives her under shepherds, pastors, to care for the sheep, even as they are sheep themselves. Thanks be to God. And you can be seated. Thank you. Dave, we love you. Big time. A little bit of his background, um, he's born and raised here in Nashville, Tennessee, um, his wife as well. They got married in May of 1988. Uh, Aaron, would you stand? That's Miss Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> Mama, Mama Hoff, that's it. Um, moved to Las Vegas in 91, stayed there for about 10 years, moved to Los Angeles in June of 01, attended Master's Seminary and served at Grace Community Church there with John MacArthur. Moved back to Nashville in June of 07, has served as an elder along with leading music ministries in a couple of different churches in the area since moving back here in 2007. He began listening along with us here with our podcast, our, our preaching podcast um, since October of 2016. He's been listening weekly and reading along with us in our Bible plan uh, beginning then. 
Dave Hoffman began following Jesus Christ in 1977 and experienced a call into ministry in 1986. He fell in love with Jesus in 1986. He was baptized in 1995 and ordained into the gospel ministry in 1996. He spent 25 years now and counting as a professional voiceover artist. Um, you can ask him on his own time uh, to do a cow sound, um, which is absolutely marvelous in every way. Um, you probably don't wanna do that now, do you? No, not appropriate, okay. <clears throat> it's phenomenal. Um, if you're under the age of 100, you have a responsibility to ask him to do that. Um, he's narrated scores of television documentaries, uh, History Channel, Nat Geo, Discovery, A&E Network, uh, AMC Network, Tornado Alley, Hunting Hitler, Better Call Saul, Nissan, NFL, Ford uh, commercials and all this stuff. You've heard his voice uh, so many different ways. He's got a great talent. Um, he served the, the local church for 22 years. And despite all this, with all this, uh, the thing I like about Dave is his love for Jesus and the way that he cares for people uh, and the way that he's a dad. Um, from the outside perspective, um, I don't know a better father uh, on this side of eternity uh, than Dave Hoffman. Uh, spectacular, spectacular daddy. Um, he's going, uh, or no, he has eight children, uh, eight adult children and eight grandchildren. All right. Um, if y'all are those people, stand up. <laughs> Love it. It's awesome. Um, they all attend here, and, uh, and the thing I like is they were all here before Dave showed up. Um, <laughs> and um, Dave has, has been serving here at the Axis as our director of music since Easter of 2021. He's going to be serving uh, the Axis Church as an on-staff elder and will be considered from now on our music pastor and not our music director. What a blessing it is uh, to have you installed as an elder here at the church this morning. From 1 Peter 5, so I exhort you as an elder, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, that you shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, and he will, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you all who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, in humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud. We don't want that. But he gives grace to the humble, and we must have this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the right time, the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil who is real, he prowls around like a roaring lion, this is true, and he's seeking someone to devour. Your responsibility is to resist him by remaining firm in your faith. And you're not alone in this, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your Christian brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself take responsibility to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Therefore, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, elders, 
pastors, elders are, of the church are to be biblically qualified. God called faithful men according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. These men will stand before God and give account for the people of God, specifically the churches they're overseeing, like the Axis Church in this situation, and this is according to Hebrews chapter 13. They are to shepherd the flock of God that God has given them. This means they are to know, lead, feed, protect, and care for the church. This is sobering, and this is also a very joyful occasion. Elders aren't the oldest. In fact, Dave is one of our younger elders, I believe. Um, elders aren't <laughs> appointed. They're not appointed. They're not recognized by voting or by popularity contest. Elders aren't rushed into leadership. We're to take our time. According to 1 Timothy 5.22, in regards to raising up elders, do not be hasty on the laying on of hands. Again, elders know, lead, feed, protect, and care for the flock of God, the church. They're shepherds, and they're shepherds meant to encourage and strengthen the sheep. Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 2 describes what happens when shepherds don't shepherd. The people wander like sheep, and they're afflicted for lack of a shepherd. So this isn't just a man with a title. This is a man with a calling, and his duty is to help protect you so that you won't be afflicted and you won't wonder or drift, as we say here at the Axis. And now for the vows portion of this time. So Dave, and so Dave, will you teach us, whether many or one-on-one, -on -one, sermons and prayers and counsel? Through all this, will you be faithful to teach us the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you shepherd us, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineeringly, but gently, being an example of the flock? By God's grace and with God's continued help, I will. Will you pray for us, interceding on our behalf, that we might comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God? church family, will you be subject to this man, clothing yourselves in humility, even to one another, obeying your leader, letting him serve you with joy, not with groaning, since that would not be of an advantage to you. By God's grace and with God's continued help, we will. Dave, I ask that you pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock of God in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood, Acts 20, 28. After the first church recognized its leaders 2,000 years ago, they laid their hands on them and prayed for them. This is according to Acts 6, 6 as an example, and there's others. It says, these they set, these men they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So Dave, I ask that you come up and we'll do this. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, thank you so much for the gift of this man and his family who your Holy Spirit has made an overseer to care for Christ's church, which he obtained with his own blood. Lord, give him the strength and wisdom to equip the saints for the works of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. 
so that we may no longer be like children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. And give this man, I pray, true humility and deep affection and devotion for us, that he may pay careful attention to himself and to all the flock that's here, that the body might grow being built up in love. Grant to him the grit and the proper pace to endure and fulfill with steadfast devotion the task that he's committed to this day. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd of the church, as under shepherds, elders, and pastors here, uh, Pastor Don, Pastor Derek, and myself, we wholeheartedly install you as an elder and welcome you, brother. Thank you. And uh, as a part of this, I'm gifting him a really good rubber band. Um, uh, I'm big on those. Don't put it over your head. No, no, no. Um, and a uh, pastor's Bible, um, a beautiful hardback, um, has wonderful counseling instructions, um, encouraging notes uh, from many, many other people who've written to encourage pastors that's in here, along with scripture. Um, so that's your gift. Put, it, put the rubber band on it, though. Yeah, that's your gift. Um, <clears throat> Also on this Elder Sunday, do it right, um, we have the privilege of uh, presenting you, the Axis Church family, with two new elder candidates. These two men will enter seven months of observation beginning today. And so at this time, I ask that Mr. Daniel Foster and Mr. Kendall, I'm not, Derek Slender come forward, and Rachel and Kendall, if they're with them, are welcome to join them. If you'll come on both sides here of the stage. Let's welcome them, please. Yeah. Over the past few years, many of you have come to your elders mentioning these two men to us as potential elders. It's deeply resonated with us. And so beginning today, please be praying for these two men and their families, their calling, and their walk with God too. Be discerning, church family. Be discerning to see if you find it a joy to potentially submit to their leadership. Be discerning if you find something to be a disqualifying concern. You have our permission and theirs to let us know, uh, one of the four elders up here. Uh, Daniel and Derek, we love you. Kendall and Rachel, we love you. Very excited about this and pray that the Lord bring clarity into what's next for you and for our church in regards to this. Remain here, please, as we call our PLC Season 6 participants forward for prayer as well. PLC is our, our pastoral leadership collective. Um, it is our eldership pipeline. It's where we develop men. These men have both been through this. Um, it lasts about five and a half months, and it's pretty intense. It's a, it's a beautiful process. And so uh, Season 6 participants are Christopher O'Neill Peterson. If you'll come forward, Anthony Torres and Daniel Press. Uh, the facilitators um, are going to be uh, Teddy Bamford, Timothy Awad, and Connor Poe. They're going to be strategically discipled and led by our, our associate minister, Jordan Hyman. They're going to be caring for um, these men in the process of this year's season six. Um, so be praying for them as well. Um, we're going to be praying for y'all, uh, thankful for your willingness to enter into the, the PLC process, and look forward to starting today 
after the second service, getting into uh, session one of, of season six. So we're going to pray now over you all. Uh, an elder is going to pray for the elder candidates. Another elder will pray for the PLC participants. I'm going to be praying over the candidates, and Derek will continue that prayer. So if you join us in this prayer over these men and families. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you continue to raise up leaders uh, when we are so fragile as humans. So Father, I pray over these two men that they understand their calling, that they spend more time on their knees and in the word over these next few months than they ever have, that they know you deeply and at a different level. And so, Father, by your spirit, I pray that you open their heart to receive the word and teaching and instruction of this calling. May we never take it for granted or look at it as a position. We are here to serve and give sacrificially to this body. So, Father, we praise you for these two men. I ask that you protect them from the buffeting of the enemy, which will surely come, and their families. For, Father, this is a dangerous position, and we do not take it lightly. Protect them. In the mighty name and grace of Jesus Christ. And Father, we lift up Anthony and Daniel and Christopher as they embark in this uh, process of um, learning and understanding more of what eldership looks like for the reading and the studying and the preparing and the preaching that they will do over these next few months. And as Pastor Don prayed, we acknowledge that this is an invitation to spiritual warfare, and so we pray that you would protect them, that you would guide them, that you'd give them uh, the energy and the grit and the determination and the faithfulness that they'll need throughout this, and that you're, they'll give them uh, their families the grace as they devote this time and energy um, to this process. We praise you and we thank you um, for this opportunity and uh, that you have um, brought these men to this place, and uh, we ask your blessing on them in our time. Amen. 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 Thank you. Y'all can have a seat. <clears throat> well, at this time, pastors Derek, Don, and then myself are each going to address you, the Access Church family, for just a few minutes each, um, sharing with you what we believe uh, to be what you must hear as we enter this new year together. And I pray that the Lord guides us, Father, that you would guide us through this special, precious time together. Have your way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Welcome, Pastor Dave. It's awesome. <laughs> it's an, uh, an honor and a privilege to be um, here uh, together with you this morning and to be one of the pastors here. Um, I'd like our time, my time that I have to come from uh, St. Paul's um, epistle to the Ephesians. We'll start in chapter 4. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called. To walk in a manner, to, to live, to order your life in such a way that's worthy of this calling. And how do we do this? With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, not resistant, not passively, but eager, engaging with energy to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, not by getting the upper hand, not by getting the victory, but through humility and gentleness. 
So what does this look like? He says, so put away all falsehood. Put away these ideas that we cling to, the, the thoughts that we have or the, the pervasive culture that tells us what we should be trusting in, where our satisfaction and our security and our identity lie. That's, that's the false way of the culture. And that's the, that's the false gospel that lurks and lingers and speaks to us even in our heart. Put away this falsehood and let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor. So it's not just that you get your mind right, that you're listening to the right voices, but that you're a mouthpiece of truth to those around you. For we are all members of one another. We're not just individual, isolated Access ministry partners or individual isolated Christians, that we're part of the same body together, working together under the headship of Jesus Christ. Be angry and don't sin, he tells us in verse 26. When you get bent out of shape, when you suffer an offense, don't let it metastasize. Don't let it deepen into your heart and breed resentment and give birth to malice or anger, hatred. Take care of it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. When it happens, don't, don't take that, don't let that first cut that affects you, that hurt or that wound that comes, then trans, translate into more damage and more resentment and more anger because this is the opportunity that the devil seeks to take in our lives. He wants to disrupt the unity of the body. And he says, let the, in verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Being mindful that wanting what somebody else has or wanting to take what they have to appropriate for yourself isn't the path. But we are to do this work on our own. Do this work that he wants to do in us, honestly, with our own hands, but us putting in the effort. Why? So that we have something to share with others, so that no one has a need to take what you have because you're giving so willingly and generously and freely. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, the appropriate way we should be speaking to each other is not the path of cynicism and sarcasm and anger. Doing these things is the opposite of walking gently and meekly and humbly with the Lord. And when we do, we risk doing this. Jesus, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us and animates us and empowers us. We are sealed by him for the day of redemption. So we let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, because malice will come if we harbor these other resentments. Instead, we're to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, gentle, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Not only is he, our, is he our example, but this is, this is a prerequisite of our own forgiveness as our Lord taught us. We, we can't receive his mercy 
We can't sing and rejoice in the truth that we were given this morning, that we sang together this morning, and then turn to our neighbor and hate them or fail to forgive them. And every one of us has those places, those names, those faces in our hearts. And our job is to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, as the Father has forgiven us through him. Because that's what makes us, in chapter 5, verse 1, imitators of God. Not that thing we idolize, that person we idolize, or that idea that we idolize, but God himself. Not because we fear him only. We do fear God. But we, we, we imitate him because we are his beloved children. Like a young child looks up to his dad. That's what I want to be like. I want to be like him because we're beloved by him. And so we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It does us no good to come in here and rejoice and worship and take communion if we don't have love. That's what we must come back to and cling to because this is the mark of a disciple. The sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let, let no filthy or foolish talk or crude joking, which is out of place, be amongst us, but instead let there be gratitude and thanksgiving, the encouragement that comes from knowing everything I have, every gift I've been given, every good thing comes from him. Now to verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. The, 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 this same idea of, of these bad ideas, these bad notions. Don't listen to those things. The antidote for this is immersing yourself in the scriptures. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. We're not outside anymore. So don't, don't get swayed or caught off guard by empty words. Don't be partners with them. Don't, don't entertain them. For at no time, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And the fruit of light, St. Paul tells us, is found in all that is good and right and true. It's the power behind being an imitator of God. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You do this again through prayer, through scripture through the community, brothers and sisters, encouraging us. And we take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Where are the unfruitful works of darkness most likely to find their place? It's not in the other person. It's not in the culture. It's in my heart. This is what must be exposed. I'm the enemy that needs to be defeated. I'm the, the, the container of the sin that must be overcome. Even Christ teaches us, pay, pay much more attention to the log that's in your own eye than the speck or the little thing that's in your brothers. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that are done in secret. For when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is Light. That's why we say to ourselves, we say to our own hearts, wake up, O sleeper, 
Rouse yourself. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. So once again, verse 15, pay careful attention to how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and we know his will is our sanctification. His will is that we be an imitator of him, to follow Christ. So don't be drunk with wine. This is debauchery. Don't let your inhibitions be changed in such a way. Don't let your, yourself be so consumed by the passion and such passions by, in such a way that we are unable to relate the way we should. But he says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That thing you're looking for that results in me chasing something that would satisfy or to take the edge off or whatever that is, let the Holy Spirit be that. Why? So that we can address each other in psalms, in praise, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and on every occasion to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is submitting one another. It's how we, it's how we relate to each other. We submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. We don't do this because of a hierarchy. We do this because of love for our Savior. He redeemed us and did this for us. The job of the church gathered is not to convince more people to become Axis ministry partners. The job of the church is not to change the world by protesting or taking a stand against the culture. We're a group of people who aren't afraid to run toward the plague or be known among the powerless or to rescue or to help, but we exist to know, love, and obey Jesus, and to help others do the same. We're to be faithful disciples who are being encouraged and edified and empowered to get back, there, get back out there living as light, living like Jesus. The transformation begins in us, and then collectively, as the light of the Lord in us, walking together in that light, we transform ourselves and everything around us. This is my encouragement this morning. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Derek. Um, I guess praying over my uh, portion of this morning, I, I narrowed it down to one verse, uh, and but you all know me well. One verse is always set in context of many verses. And so this morning, I wanted to share that one verse with you from John 8, 12 which is Jesus speaking to them. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. That's a promise. That's not a, 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 I hope you can roll up your sleeves and do this. Jesus is the light of the world. And he who follows me, that's discipleship. That, that's walking out our walk behind him, the, the good shepherd. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. We will not have darkness. It admits that there is darkness in the, in the world, but we've been transferred, according to Colossians 1, out of that domain into his kingdom, out of the domain of darkness. And we will have the light of life. But as I say, I, I typically don't just narrow one verse down. I contextually uh, set it for us. And so that verse, if you're going to do homework this afternoon on it, is set within the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And that starts in the Gospel of John on chapter 7, verse 2, and extends until the scene changes 
in chapter 10, verse 22. So it goes through 10:21. And I believe that 8:12 is acting like an umbrella which overarches that entire section of text in the Feast of Booths. But more so, I believe when you open the book of John, you see that, that Jesus is the light. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, that that theme contextually draws us into the gospel of John and, and goes all the way through it. And so this morning, there are at least three portions, or I should say just three portions of the Feast of Booze that I wanted to share with you. The Feast of Booze was a fall setting. It came five days after the Day of Atonement, and pilgrims would come, and they would build temporary shelters uh, out of palm branches, myrtle, and willow, and other items, and live in them for seven days. It was extended to an eighth day, but seven big days of the festival occurred, and, and they got in those booths to remember. They got in them to remember the exodus, because in the exodus, coming out of Egypt into the desert... Israel wandered for 40 years living in booths, in tents, in, in temporary shelters. And as we journey across this landscape, we certainly are temporary and live in temporary structures. And, and we move through many times desert. And so we can put ourselves in there, but specifically, the Feast of Booths caused them to remember that God was with them. Exodus 13, 21 and 22, specifically that, that he was there in the day with a cloud and at night with the pillar of fire, the light, that they knew God was with them, but that they knew they had been brought out of Egypt, not in a cheap sort of grace, but the cost of redemption. Those were a redeemed people. Remembering the cost of redemption was steep. That in Egypt, the firstborn of all of Egypt had died so that they might go free. And certainly in this section of text in John that I just laid out, Jesus himself will remind us of the cost of redemption when he says that he is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the first thing I would want you to know from this feast and this verse that, that acts like an umbrella over the text is that we would remember deeply the cost of our redemption and therefore the grandeur of grace that keeps us humble and drawn ever so close and constantly attached, centered to the cross. The, the second and third items really are from two rituals that, that occurred during the Feast of Booths uh, in the first century in the time of Jesus. And one was the water uh, the pouring out of water, the water ritual. And the high priest would take a, a golden pitcher and, and move from the temple down to the pool of Siloam and dip and bring back. And each day of the feast would pour around the altar that water, portions of the water. And in doing so was great praises and, and, and prayers offered to God for, for the provision of the harvest because it was fall and the figs and the olives and the grapes had come in. But more so, as they poured out the water, they would recite Isaiah 12, 3, that you all, can you imagine, you all will joyously draw from the springs of salvation. And it's from Isaiah 12, which is messianic. They were looking forward to the one who would bring salvation, and he was in the temple courtyards. And it's at that moment in John 7 that he actually speaks forth that if anyone is thirsty, anyone out there in the darkness who is thirsty for salvation, come to me. For whoever believes in me, 
as scripture says, from their innermost being will pour forth rivers of living water. And that image, and John puts it in a paraphrase. He was speaking about the giving of the Holy Spirit to us that enables our walk that Derek just talked about. That you, what I would want you to know is the second point is that you are indwelt by the very Spirit of God that contained and restrained the chaos and creation. That you are empowered for this walk of sanctification by His Spirit. You are never alone. The third ritual that I would talk about is called the temple illumination, where at night during this great feast of booze, they would take four huge 75-foot-tall uh, lamps that basically had four bowls filled with 10 to 12 gallons of oil on them. And so it's like setting a 50-gallon drum of, of oil on top of these 75-foot-tall golden lampstands. And they would light them on fire, and as that occurred... The, the priest would take torches and dance around the, 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 the temple precincts and, and the choirs would sing and there would be music and there would be antiphonal uh, reading of, of the psalms, the great praise psalms. And I have a picture of what this might look like. There it is. Wow. <laughs> In all its grandeur. And, but you'll notice man-made light does what? It diminishes as you get further away from it. But, but extra-biblical uh, writers write that that festival lit every courtyard in Jerusalem. He could get light from that night. But Jesus says, I don't diminish, for I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me, whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so the third thing I'd want you to know from this is, is that you've been given this light it doesn't diminish. We're not to diminish it. And as he says, I am the light of the world. And, and, and again, John 9, verse 5, he, he will, just before he brings the light of life to a blind man, he will say, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. But in a similar stream, he'll tell us in the Sermon on the Mount, looking at the disciples, the believers, the followers, you, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill should not be hidden, cannot hide itself. You're not meant, meant to take this, this gift, this light, and hide. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but rather places it on a lampstand. And I don't know where your lampstand is, but it's wherever you live, dwell, work, sleep, eat, whatever you do, whatever contact you come in, you are meant to shine. So let your light shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the third thing I'd want you to know is you've been given a vocation to steward the light of Christ into a darkened world. And don't be afraid. Don't cover it. I would ask that you shine ever so brightly. Thank you, Pastor Don. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And I shared this verse many times, uh, I believe around eight or nine times uh, with you as I addressed you this time last year on Elder Sunday, 2022. Little did I know what 2022 would bring my way, 
um, specifically in regards to my depression. The waiting was longer than I wanted it to be. Um, this, I struggled to find the strength to continue through 2022. And my heart felt nothing of courage. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Well, as I look back over last year, I now see that the Lord was not only with me, but it was the Lord who was my strength in my weakness. And it was the Lord who was my courage and my feebleness and my weariness and the clumsiness of my depression. I guess what I'm trying to say is that what I thought was waiting for the Lord to show up in the midst of my depression was actually learning to acknowledge that he was already with me in the midst of my depression. And had he not been, I surely would have felt the difference. But the Lord guided me into my depression. He guided me through my depression, and he's guiding me out of my depression, um, giving me increased vigor and strength, poise, gladness, and joy. Psalm 27, 14, again, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. Written in the front of the Bible that I brought before you um, two weeks ago on the priority of the Bible in the life of the Christian, the white one that I have that I'm reading through this year, um, written in the front of that are the following words. As I begin my 10th journey through this sacred text, I do so as a very dry and weary sinner with sinful desires, cravings, and addictions. I pray this year in this book that I experience renewal, revival, refreshment, and freedom, joy, and contentment. And I had to write these words because I get tricked thinking I can find it in other people and other places and other things. Only God can give these to me. Please help me. It's wonderful to tell you that God's already helping me. He's already answering this prayer. And this last week was the first week where I felt like my true self in a year. Um, I'm, this is the fourth day of feeling like I'm back. And uh, I'm excited about that. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Echoing what we learned through the story of Joseph, reading through Genesis in chapter 50 and verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I've learned this. Now, I am very aware, I know that many of you feel much like I have felt the last year. In the battle that we call life, in the battle that we consider living, we can become very tired. We can become discouraged and weary. And the same is true for us, not just physically, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, but we can also become this way spiritually. We're in a spiritual battle, and as Christians, we can easily become tired and weary. And when this happens, we make terrible mistakes. When we become weary Christians, uh, we, we tend to make terrible decisions. We'll cheat, we'll compromise, we'll accommodate, we'll give in, we'll give up, we'll tap out, and we become careless where we should become even more careful. But Christian, your pastors and elders and many others are praying for you. And we believe in you, that you would not lose faith and that you would hold fast to hope. And remind yourself, Christian, that you have been made righteous. You've been declared righteous by God. You've been justified, in other words, through Christ Jesus. 
And since you've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access and entry by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not, not only that, though that's pretty awesome, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, in our depressions, in our situations, because it's not wasted. Our sufferings produces something in us. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance then produces character. Character produces hope. And the Christian's hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ Jesus died for the ungodly, the clumsy, and the sinner. Now, one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die in their place. But God shows us his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Now, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, not our work, but by his work, by his blood, much more shall we be saved from him from the wrath of God saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled back into relationship and friendship with God, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And then further down in this passage, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, the parts of us that's not of the spirit, you see, the, the, there's a complexity about the Christian. We're no longer just a sinner. At the same time, we're made into a saint, right? So we've got the old flesh, sinful desires, sinful cravings, what comes natural out of us, just easy. But now as Christians, we've been gifted the spirit that's working to become the greater influence in our life, destroying the works of the flesh and the sinful desires of who we are to give birth to desires of the spirit, being led by the spirit. So there's this conflict within us, like the old Tom and Jerry cartoon, the angel and the devil, right? There's this, there's this pulling of us in the flesh. There's this pulling of us towards the spirit. There's a pulling of us towards sinful desires, pulling of us towards holiness, and it's at war within us. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin that's still within us might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. What, consider, what we consider to be natural, our natural desires, we're just enslaved, those natural desires. We're not in control when we wanna do our own thing in our own way. We're enslaved by sin to do our thing in our way. And God has sent his son to give us his spirit to free us from the evil desires that do nothing but kill us and ultimately take us to hell so that we could be set free from those desires and actually taste and see that something is better and eternal and life-giving. This is the work of God in our lives. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe 
that we'll also live with him. This is the Christian hope. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's good news. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, Christian, dead to sin and alive to God. You have to consider yourself that way. It's a mental choice. It's a decision that you make. Dead to sin, alive to God. Consider this. And here's what I've been building towards in this text. Here's what Paul's been writing towards in this chapter. This is your encouragement. Based on all this, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. That's being enslaved. You're no longer enslaved. Don't let it continue to control you. Do not present your body, your words, your thoughts, the things that you hear as, as instruments for unrighteousness. That's not who you are anymore. But present all of who you are to God as those who have actually been brought from death to life and who you are to God as instruments for righteousness and goodness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Don't allow it. You're not under law, but you're under grace. Church family, in 2023, let's each and every one of us, let's all of us pursue holiness. Let's all of us fight the drifts in our lives. Let's all of us develop gospel grit and Christ-like instincts and reflexes. Let's all lean wholeheartedly into holiness like never before, as if our life depended upon it, because it does. Because it does. Don't play games with the drift. It's the damn drift. It'll cost you your life. Don't give in to the drift of sin and temptation. Fight it. Fight the drift. The drift takes lives. Don't let it take yours. Don't accommodate sin. Don't tolerate sin. And for heaven's sake, don't negotiate with sin and temptation. Run from this. Don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Be softened by confession and the freedom of repentance, saying no to sin. Forsake your sinful way. Those paths to sin, let weeds grow over them to where you forget how to go there. Forsake your sinful thoughts. Run, run away. Unsubscribe and unfollow anything and everything that takes away your strength to fight sin and run towards the cross. If it doesn't fuel your holiness pursuit, move on to something that does. There's nothing neutral. If it's not helping you, it's hurting you. Get there. Get to that point in your life. Don't play with sin. Rather, fear the Lord and walk in his way. Sprint towards the light. Don't merely walk the Christian life. Run the Christian life with endurance, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our very faith. Why? Why to all this? because therein lies your joy. If you're struggling with meaning, with purpose, with value, am I worth anything? Does anybody care? You're gonna have all those answered and more when you pursue Jesus Christ. When you pursue the one who has created you, God himself, that is your joy. It's in pursuing God that all of your life will begin to make sense and you will have peace regardless of your situation. Your life won't necessarily be easy, but it'll make more sense to the point where you have more peace, even in the midst of hostility and storm, sickness, 
cancer, frustration, and so forth. Friend, you pursue personal holiness and godliness and you'll experience what it is that I'm hoping to experience this year. Renewal, revival, refreshment, and freedom, and joy, and contentment. Only God can give these to you. It's your responsibility to ask him to give these things to you. Ask him to help you. And remember, Jesus Christ loves and welcomes the weary, dry sinner. Clumsy, he's looking for you. You think you got it together? You don't need Jesus. But if you're willing to admit that you're a sinner and clumsy and tired, he says, come to me, all who are weary and clumsy, I'll give you rest. Let me take your burden. You take mine, mine's easy, it's light. Let me have yours, I'll carry it for you. Do this, my friend. Wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Well, as we conclude this time, we do so with our minds and our hearts focused on the finished work of Christ. The first point that Don pointed out in his talk, remembering the cost of our redemption is what we do as we come to the Lord's table, as we share in communion, the Lord's Supper together. Christian, this is for you. The bread is symbolic of the life of Christ. The juice or the wine is symbolic of the death of Christ. He lived as our representative in his life. He died as our substitute in his death. So as you come and take and dip and taste, remind yourself, remind your soul, remind your heart, remind your mind of the truth of the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for you. We're gonna have two servers on either side of the stage. We're gonna have self-serve stations in the back corners. Let's pray together over this time. These are the gifts of God for the people of God and we proclaim the mystery of the faith that Christ has lived, he's died, he's risen, he's ascended, and he will come again. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now may the wonderful blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be on this time of communion this time of celebrating, this time of remembering, this time of repenting and confessing, and remain with us always, even through the end of the age. Christ's name we pray, amen. Christian, when you're ready, please come and take, but I do ask that you do as Christ asked, and that you remember him as you come. You can come when you're ready. You've been listening to a sermon from the Axis Church in downtown Nashville. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.